We've been studying this chapter for several weeks. We've gone up to and finished through verse 10. We pick it up in verse 11, and uh, I'd intended to cover perhaps maybe four verses today, but as I began to get into this, I found so much meat in verse 11, I decided we're just going to study one verse today, verse 11. It's a great verse. There's a lot there. The beauty of it is we have from now until Jesus comes back to finish studying. So we don't have to get in a hurry, do we? So let's read that verse 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And that's another reason I decided to do this one verse. It's because at the end of this verse, and my sense is that Peter is getting pretty worked up here, pretty excited, pretty emotional as he talks about the glory of God, the dominion forever and ever, and he tags it with an amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we explore the riches of this verse, we're not surprised because every cross, T, and dotted I, Jesus said not, not, not even one cross, T, or dotted I will pass away. That the word of the Lord endures forever. And Father, we're thankful that you have preserved for us your word as transmitted to your Old and New Testament prophets and writers exactly the things that you've wanted us to know, to hear, to see, to understand. And you've told us in the scriptures that we are not to uh, meddle with them, that we're not to take away from them or add to them, even though we know that in some instances some of the translations may not be perfect. Lord, you have transmitted to us exactly the things that you want us to know, to hear, to see, to understand. You have preserved and protected your word for thousands of years. And we thank you that we have opportunity here today to study it together. Bless this time of study in your word, Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So the directives given here in verse 11 by Peter relate back to the previous verse, which we finished with last week, 1 Peter 4.10. As each one has received a gift. And even before that, Peter says, after talking about how if we're going to be true followers of Christ, then we will suffer in the flesh. We will have to deny our flesh. We won't be able to partake of all the things that people who are not of faith partake of. And it's really not that big of a deal because the things that people who are not of faith partake of, in many cases, though they may be pleasurable for the season, they, they may be enjoyable for a short time, as we discussed last week, the end result is destruction, physical destruction. I mean, we know the destructive nature of drug abuse, alcohol abuse, illicit sexual activity, and so forth. And we know that many people die premature deaths. AIDS, for example, would be one example. We know alcohol destroys the liver and so forth. They are physically destructive, but they are also uh, destructive at a higher level, on the spiritual level, for all eternity because when people are caught up in these lifestyles and they're in bondage to them and cannot turn away from them, it prevents them from entering into an eternal love relationship with God. And so it might seem like we're suffering in the flesh, but we're really not because all we're doing, God is helping us avoid the things that though they may appear to be enjoyable and pleasurable and so forth, are really the things that if we indulge in them without restraint, they will destroy us. Make sense? So, we transitioned last week from Peter talking about this, uh, the distinction between uh, those, and he talked about the fact that the world uh, would think it's strange that we no longer run with them, remember? But then he, he flips the coin and he says, but the end of all things is near. Let's not get all caught up in, woe is me, 
are having our pity party, how we have to suffer, how people don't like us because we're Christians. The end of all things is at hand. And so he emphasizes, hey, it's not going to last forever. We need to look forward to the eternal glories, the eternal blessings that God has for us in his eternal kingdom. And we need to focus on using the spiritual gifts that he's given us. And according to the scriptures, every single believer, every born-again believer has received at least one spiritual gift. And I believe we talked about this also, the difference between a, a, uh, a residential gift, a gift that resides within you permanently. Now, even if you have a gift that God has given you that he intends for you to use for the rest of your life, you still have to step out in faith and begin to use it. You could have the gift of teaching, but if you choose not to teach, the gift is dormant, right? It's not doing anything. Is everybody awake today? Okay. okay. Maybe you're just listening intently, which I appreciate that. So residential gifts, and then there are situational gifts. If there is somebody there that is ripe for the picking, so to speak, in terms of salvation. You know, we, we used to use terminology like, man, this guy's ready to fall off the tree. He's so ripe. You know, someone that God has been preparing, doing things in, his, in this person's life, bringing them to the place where they're just right on the verge of receiving Christ. You know what I'm talking about? Well, maybe you're the only one around and this person needs to take that final step. And so... You're the one that God puts in their path. But, and some people have actually done this, they would say, well, man, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I can't lead this person to Christ. I need to go find somebody that does. No, you're the person God put in that situation. This is the time, this is the place. The Holy Spirit will give you what you need to help that person come into the kingdom. So, I believe at any given point in time, any believer, if you're willing to step out on faith and let God use you, any one of the gifts of the Spirit could work in you and through you at that moment. But you might have prayed for someone once upon a time and they got healed of a physical affliction. But then there are many other times that you've prayed for someone and they didn't get healed. And again, it's not as cut and dried as, well, you either had enough faith or you didn't. That's how certain segments of the Christian community, in fact, one of those guys just got a new $36 million jet. I don't know if you heard about that. Kenneth Copeland got blessed, uh, from what I understand, by some of his supporters with a new $36 million jet. Maybe I should have embraced the name it and claim it a long time ago. Not really. I don't need a jet. But there are those, unfortunately, who teach that if, if you're walking in the perfect will of God, if you're walking in faith, then you will never be sick. That's just not biologically correct, scientifically correct, and it's not spiritually correct. Because the Bible is filled with good people that got sick. And again, there's a lot of reasons why that happens. My point is this. If you are someone who finds that quite often when you pray for people who are sick, they get healed, it's a good chance you have the gift of healing. Some of you may remember my late great Uncle Fred Cowan. How many remember my Uncle Fred? And I know there were people in this church who were healed through his ministry and that he did have that gift of healing. Again, as we covered last week, even if you don't, believe you have the gift of healing, we're still obligated as believers to pray for the sick, to pray for one another when we're sick. And so without belaboring the point, Peter transitioned us into this place now where he's talking about what we ought to be about the business of doing, not sitting around sulking because we're suffering in the flesh as followers of Christ, but to be aware of the fact that Jesus is coming soon. And in the meantime, he's given us all gifts so that we can more effectively minister to one another. First Peter 4.10 that we read last week, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. 
And as we also pointed out last week, you could receive a gift, but if you don't open it, take it out and use it, it's pretty much worthless, right? Can you imagine getting your packages from out underneath a Christmas tree and you say, you know what? These are so beautiful, I don't even want to open them. I'm just going to store them in my closet. That would be a sad thing. It'd be a sad thing for the person who gave you the gift. It'd be a sad thing for you because you'd never get any use out of it. What did Jesus say? Don't hide your your faith under a bushel. Don't hide your light. Let it shine. So first of all, now he's going to distinguish here between different kinds of gifts in a somewhat subtle way. He says, if anyone speaks. And so a number of spiritual gifts that we find in the New Testament involve speaking, teaching, like what I'm doing here today. I believe I have the gift of teaching. I guess the proof is in the pudding, as they say. But it wouldn't matter if I didn't get up here and do it. or in, an, in whatever setting God called me to do it in, whether it was a home Bible study group or in the church setting, wherever it might be, it's a speaking gift. And the gift doesn't operate unless you're willing to speak. Teaching, prophecy, that's another gift that isn't really effective unless you speak it out. Word of knowledge, that's when God gives you specific information about a person or a situation that you could not possibly have known on your own. Word of wisdom, a supernatural insight into a particular person or situation. These are gifts that are very beneficial in counseling and even in praying. I've had many experiences where praying for someone and God gives me words of wisdom, sometimes words of knowledge, uh, pertaining to that person and their situation in their life. But they're all speaking gifts. Exhortation, encouragement. Yeah, sometimes a handshake or a hug or a smile is all that is needed. People can be very encouraged by that, just like they can be discouraged by a frown. Body language. But beyond that, speaking a few words of encouragement to someone can really bolster them, lift them up. And that's what, again, we're called to do that as believers, but some people just seem to have the gift. You know what I'm talking about? The person who always seems upbeat, who's always encouraging, who's, it's just, they're a joy to be around. But again, it's a, a gift that involves speaking. And then evangelism. Obviously, I guess, you know, Chris used to be a professional mime artist. He did a little impromptu mime at the end of his announcement there. And you can communicate a lot without speaking. But in order to win someone to Christ, I would argue that you probably need to speak. You need to share your faith. You need to share the truth of God's Word. And again, that could be in a one-on-one setting, or it could be like a Greg Laurie or a Franklin Graham or a Billy Graham in a large stadium. And that's the thing about the gifts of the Spirit. Not only are there a multitude of gifts, they can and are used and exercised in a variety of different situations. And one of the pitfalls I think we come up against when trying to t- determine what our gifts are and how to use them is when we do this comparison thing. Just because you don't have the calling to be like a Franklin Graham or a Greg Laurie doesn't mean you don't have the gift of evangelism. In fact, I would argue that one-on-one evangelism is actually more effective. Uh, statistically, they have shown that crusade evangelism at the very best, roughly 25% of the people who receive Christ at these large, massive evangelistic crusades, only about 25% stay with it. I think there's a much higher success rate in friendship evangelism, one-on-one. And so we shouldn't downplay that. And again, There's another aspect that you can get into here. It's called gift projection. You have a particular gift. And so whatever it might be, if it's evangelism, you love to share your faith. It seems to come easy for you. You do it a lot and you, and you see a lot of people get saved. And so you begin to think, well, man, if I can do it, anybody can. So 
Why aren't you winning as many people to Christ as I am? It's called gift projection. We talked last week about the gift of hospitality. And so for someone who has that gift and they're prone to and given to hospitality and they're welcoming and they're kind and they're always have an open door and they're always ready to feed somebody lunch or dinner or hang out with them, then they would have a tendency to look at other believers and if you're not careful, judge them because they don't have that same gift that you have. So we have to be careful on both sides of the coin. On the one hand, you should not diminish your gift or ignore your gift because you don't perceive your gift to be as great as someone else's. And you know, if we were to get deeper into a study of the spiritual gifts and go over all the scriptures and Romans and 1 Corinthians and Ephesians and everywhere, then we would talk about those things even in more depth. But we have to be careful on both sides of the coin. On the one hand, you don't want to diminish your gift. We're encouraged in the scriptures, just use it where you're at, be faithful to use it, but don't compare yourself to others. And on the other side of the coin, don't expect everyone to be able to do what you do. One of my gifts, I believe, is faith. And I've shared this before, so I do crazy things. At least they appear to be crazy to other people. In fact, a lot of times they appear to be crazy to me. But I, I am able to exercise that gift, and, and God has used that gift through the years. Again, I'm not the only one. I'm try, not trying to praise myself or take credit here, but it was my faith as well as a number of other people that enabled us to be at this facility that we're now in. In the natural, it seemed impossible. But as we stepped out in faith and we trusted God, and by the way, no matter what gift we're talking about, when you step out to use your gift, sometimes you're going to fail. You're not always going to succeed. But it's like anything else in life. Unless you're willing to take the risk of failure, then you will never enjoy the blessing of success. How many times did Abraham Lincoln lose elections? Was it six times? Anybody, any historians in here? It was at least six times that Abraham Lincoln ran for public office and lost before he was elected president of the United States. Six times. A lot of people would have given up after the first, second, third, fourth, right? And I, hardly anyone would have attempted it after six losses, six previous losses. But can you imagine what our nation would not have been or what our nation would have been without Abraham Lincoln? And so we have to be willing to take the risk. And Teddy Roosevelt talked about that too. But at any rate, Peter's gotten us now into this section where he's talking about how to use these gifts that he has mentioned, these charismas, charis, the Greek, it means grace. And so uh, I remember one Bible teacher many years ago describing the gifts of the Spirit as gracelets, little outpourings of God's grace, His unmerited favor. And so we became recipients of that grace when we got saved, and we will continue to be recipients of God's grace throughout our earthly lives, receiving his unmerited favor, getting that which we don't deserve, because he loves us. And practically speaking, the way that is worked out, and this is why it's a sad thing, that so many believers are not really actively involved in a local body of believers, a local church, are not really plugged in. They might go once in a while. They might go here and there. They treat it more like a fast food Christian diet. One week they go to McDonald's. One week they go to Burger King. Only we're talking different churches. But you never really get to know anybody. You don't make any relationships. And the primary way that God ministers His grace to His people is through and by His people. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we know, we know in our hearts that God is real, that Jesus is alive. We've been born again by the Spirit of God. The Spirit lives in us. We're able to commune with Him. We're able to pray and talk to God, receive comfort from Him, receive comfort from His Word. But the reason that Christ came into this world is because prior to that, 
God was a largely unknown and untouchable entity. And in the person of Jesus Christ, he became a known and touchable entity. Remember when he appeared, the first time he appeared before the, it would have been the ten at that point, because Judas was dead and Thomas was absent. On the Sunday evening of his resurrection, he appeared before the ten. Thomas was absent. The ten reported to Thomas what they'd seen, and he refused to believe. He said, I'm not going to believe it until I can touch the wounds of his hand and his side. The next week, Jesus appears again, and Thomas is there. He says, okay, Tom, touch me. Remember the woman with the issue of blood. She didn't actually touch Jesus' body. She just grabbed onto the hem of his garment, and she was healed. How many remember that story? Point of contact. And for, as God's representatives here on earth, as representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are all points of contact. And when people hear the message over and over again, God loves you, but they don't ever experience it from God's people, they become very skeptical, very cynical. And so this is why Peter delves into this subject that above all love one another fervently but love isn't just a warm fuzzy feeling it's an active thing agape unconditional love means that you put others before yourself that you care more about them than you care about yourself that you're willing to give of yourself your time your energy your money and god has equipped us with the gifts of the holy spirit to be able to do that if anyone speaks, so we have these speaking gifts. Peter says, let him speak as the oracles of God. Who or what are the oracles of God? I would propose to you that the oracles of God are the Old Testament prophets, the New Testament writers, God's official spokesman, and the words that have been put forth for us by the Holy Spirit through these Old Testament and New Testament writers contained within the Holy Scriptures. These are the oracles of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. There are those who would argue that's just the words of man. You can't really take it all literally. You can't believe it all. No. God says it's all inspired by him it's all god breathed as one translation says all scripture is god breathed even as god breathes the breath of life into adam and eve he breathed his words into the writers of the old and new testament all scripture is given by inspiration of god and is profitable beneficial for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness let him who speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly. Notice the number one thing on this list. This is speaking of the early church in Jerusalem, the first believers, the first church, after Christ ascended into heaven. They continued steadfastly. Number one, the apostles' doctrine, the oracles of God. The fellowship, the breaking of bread, and in prayer. But numero uno was the apostles' doctrine. Jude 1.3 Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So this faith that you and I now embrace, it's the apostles' doctrine, the oracles of God, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And yet what do we have today in the 21st century? We have modern day pastors, teachers, preachers saying we need to reinvent Christianity. You know, we need to modify the Bible to make it more culturally relevant. No. God is eternal. His word is eternal. The faith that he imparts to us is eternal. Culture, society, politics, 
none of this should have any bearing on the truth of God's Word. It didn't start when it was written by the Old and New Testament writers. It existed within God throughout eternity past. The oracles of God. When Okay, so you get a speaking gift. Maybe it's exhortation. Maybe it's teaching. Maybe it's prophecy. Word of knowledge. Word of wisdom. Evangelism. Whatever. Peter says, when you use that gift, you are to speak as the oracles of God. In other words, you don't come up with your own spiel, which is mostly what you get if you turn on the Christian TV channels today, the Christian radio today. I'm not saying all, but much of it. And most of the biggest celebrities in the Christian world, like the guy who just got his $36 million jet, are not speaking as the oracles of God. They've got their own spiel, their own shtick. And the end game and the end goal is danero, to speak in the New Mexican vernacular. And by the way, the ultimate oracle is Jesus himself. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. The final word is the Word. Jesus is the Word. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And in these last days, Jesus has become the final Word, the final authority on all things in this universe. So anytime anyone, anywhere, presumes to speak for God, especially pastors and teachers, God expects them to speak the truth of His Word, preferably under the anointing and gifting of the Holy Spirit. So again, I would make the case there are a lot of modern preachers who would do well to study this passage in First Peter so they can get back on track with their true calling. So we have, if anyone speaks, now we have, if anyone ministers. We discussed this last week. It means to serve diakonuntis or diakonus. It's, you've heard the English word deacon, like deacons in the church. Ministers, servant. So it's a Greek word connotating, denoting servant, the status of a servant. So some spiritual gifts involve speech, while others involve action, doing, serving. And I'm not saying that someone who has a speaking gift should not also be a servant. Jesus said if you want to be great in God's kingdom, become the servant of all. But these are gifts that are not always in the spotlight. They often the less visible gifts. All the people serving over in the children's ministry, the nursery, the ushers, the greeters, the security, all these people assuming that they are doing the right things for the right reasons and their hearts are really in it. I'm not saying they're not. I'm just saying when you have the gift of ministering, of serving, again, it's a joy. It's not a burden. That doesn't mean it isn't hard sometimes. That doesn't mean you don't feel discouraged sometimes or unappreciated. But by and large, if you're functioning in a gift that God has given you, you will enjoy it. It will be a blessing. So even as some spiritual gifts involve speech, others involve action, doing, serving, hospitality, as we already discussed. Val is Val here this morning. There's a lady with the gift of hospitality right there. And another way that you can find out what your gifts are and develop them is to look at someone that you know has a gift and hang out with them. It's called on-the-job training. That's how Jesus did it. He found 12 guys, and he spent three years with them, teaching them, training them, modeling the ministry to them. If you want to find out how to use your gift or what your gift is, you, have a, you suspect it might be hospitality, sign up with Val. Say, hey, I want to help. I want to be your assistant. I want to work with you. What can I do? How many of you learned the, your job that way? Anybody? Well, you were just thrust into a position you knew nothing about or what? 
<laughs> it's called apprenticeship, right? Oh, the apprentice. But God says, you're not fired. You're hired. Mercy, the gift of mercy. Compassion. Just being there with someone, letting them open up, share their heart, pray for them, give them a hug. As believers, we should all be some compassionate, but let's be honest. Some of us are more compassionate than others, and one of the reasons for that is some have that gift. It's not an excuse to not be compassionate, but more than likely, it's kind of like kids when they get hurt. Who do they go to 90% of the time? Why do they go to mom? Because mom's usually more compassionate. Dad goes, eh, you know. Put a lid on it. Shake it off. Your arm's halfway severed. Shake it off. <laughs> Mom has compassion. So you're probably going to gravitate towards people like that in the church that you sense are compassionate. They have the gift of mercy. That doesn't mean you should get mad at the people that don't and judge them. Just learn to recognize who to go to depending upon what your need is. Right? That's another problem in the church. We expect everybody to be, you know, the, the epitome of kindness and compassion and mercy and giving. And so when someone doesn't meet our expectations, we become offended with them. That's why Peter said, love covers over a multitude of sins. Agape. And I would propose to you that we will all do much better if when we come together, rather than coming with the attitude of what can I get here today, come with the attitude of what can I give here today. Whether it's a smile, a hug, a handshake, pray for someone. Because as I, I think I mentioned this last week too, when we focus on others and ministering to them, God takes care of us. But when we become self-absorbed, then we're never satisfied. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. This is important. This is why Peter's talking about gifts. Because it's possible to do these things in the flesh. It's possible to do most, if not all, of the things we've discussed so far in the flesh. Trusting in our own ability. And so people that do that they will develop a tremendous ability. As I mentioned, some of these charlatans, these flim-flam artists, you know, and I get in trouble when I do this, but I'm just going to do it anyway. I want to use Joel Osteen as an example. I mean, people all over America practically worship this guy. Why? Because he's bringing the oracles of God? No way, Jose. I challenge you to show me one of his videos where he is bringing forth the oracles of God. But you know what? He is polished and he's sharp and people love him. Doggone it. <laughs> he's good enough, he's smart enough, and doggone it, people like him. But at the end of the day, he's selling himself. He's selling his books. He's got his shtick. And he does it in his flesh, I believe. If I'm wrong, then may God deal with me because I don't want to unfairly or unrighteously judge anyone, but Jesus said, by their fruit you shall know them. I don't see any oracles of God coming out of that guy. I see a lot of flash and splash, lots of success in worldly terms, lots of money. It's absolutely possible to do everything we've been talking about in the flesh the problem is, you can't do it in the flesh and reap any spiritual results. That's the problem. And there are others that I could point out, but I'll just stop with Joel. Probably offended enough people already. It's absolutely wrong to represent and serve God apart from the anointing, gifting, and empowering of His Holy Spirit. And that really just comes down to humility. Just humbling yourself before God, saying, God, use me for your purposes, for your glory, Help me to identify my gifts and to use them to help other people. Unfortunately, many times people can do the right things for the wrong reasons. And that's where things get murky and cloudy and confused. 
I've seen people develop, you know, what some might call tremendous counseling ministries and different things like this. But at the end of the day, they're in it for themselves. They have a need to be needed. They want people to need them. They want people to cling to them. They, they receive something from it. It feeds their soul, their fleshly soul. The idea that, wow, all these people need me. What would they do without me? That's the flesh. The Spirit points them to Jesus. You know, I was bragging the other day about this church. I forget who it was too. Might have been somebody from this church. But when I said, you know, oh, it, was, it was Pastor Ed actually. I said, you know, we really don't have that many phone calls requesting counseling. Now maybe it's because they're scared of me. I don't know. I'm just a warm, fuzzy teddy bear. I said, you know why? Because I believe this body is ministering to itself. You guys are ministering to one another. I believe that you are spiritually mature because you've been consistently taught in the Word of God. And ultimately, God's the only one that can solve your problems anyway. And in my experience, over the years, most of the counseling I've done, people don't listen to me anyway. I try to counsel from the Scriptures. I try not to give opinions. Let's look at what the Word of God says. And they still don't listen to me. So in my estimation, oh, here I go again, I'm going to get in trouble again. So-called counseling, you know, and in the secular world, counseling is all about, again, what? Making money. Because in counseling, it never ends. How often does some secular psychologist or psychiatrist tell a person, you know, you don't need to come anymore, you're completely well. They don't do that because then you won't come and pay them anymore. So even if they think, well, we fixed this problem, but now you have this problem. Right? And again, like I said, most people who go for counseling don't go to hear what they need to hear. They go to hear what they want to hear. But now maybe I'm totally off, off base here, but I really believe the reason we don't get very many calls for counseling in this church is because you guys are looking to God, you're looking to His Word, you're looking to one another, and guess what? That's exactly how it's supposed to work. So here we go. Many times people do the right things for the wrong reasons, and I mentioned some of the reasons. Recognition, self-fulfillment, monetary gain. And again, they become very polished at what they do. And to the undiscerning individual, you mistake their fleshly abilities for spirituality. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. This is what Peter's talking about. Let him do it as with the ability God supplies, not leaning to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Zechariah 4.6 This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. He was the governor in Jerusalem when the people taken into captivity returned from Babylon. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It is the Spirit of God working in us. Galatians 3, 1 through 3. Oh, foolish Galatians. Boy, Paul, that's rather offensive. Paul, you can't talk like that in 2018. You're calling these Galatian Christians foolish? Paul, we're going to have to find a new pastor. You're out. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? See, Paul had these nagging Judaizers following around him, after him, uh, trying to undo his ministry and telling the people that he had taught, wait a minute, you can't be saved unless you obey the Old Testament law. And these were Gentiles. And they're telling these Gentile believers, you can't be a true 
born-again Christian unless you also follow the law of Moses. And they were undermining Paul's message of salvation by grace through faith. He says, who's pulled the wool over your eyes here? Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? It's the only way you can begin. The only way you can begin a relationship with God is to begin in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to your heart. He speaks through His Word. He speaks through other people who use their speaking gifts to share their faith, to witness to you. And then by faith, you receive Christ. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. Jesus said you must be born again. It's a spiritual rebirth. Paul's saying, hey, you began in the Spirit. That's the only way you can begin. You cannot begin a journey with God in the flesh. It has to be a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? And that's, a, that's another danger, that, another trap we can fall into. Okay, God, I thank you for saving me, forgiving me of my sins. I thank you that I've got a spot reserved in your eternal kingdom. Many mansions, can't wait to get mine. But now, God, now that I'm saved, now that I'm perfect, I've got it under control. No, you don't. You better not have it under control. He better have it under control. Get it? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? And so, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. The minute we begin to rely upon ourselves, we're in trouble. We must always rely upon God. And here's the reason Peter gives us that in all things God may be glorified. But wait a minute, I wanted some glory. And don't kid yourself, there's a lot of people that do. The goal and the purpose of all creation was and is to bring glory to God the Creator. It's all about Him. Did you know that? I have a big wake-up call for the church and for the whole human race. This isn't about us. He made it. He created it. He created you and I. He created all things. It's all about Him. We're just blessed and privileged to be a part of it. In fact, we're the, we're the most important part. We're the highest of all of God's creation. Why? Because we're so wonderful? No, because He is. And He decided He wanted kids. He decided He wanted a family. He wanted to have a love relationship with us for all eternity. But we must never forget, it's all about Him. It's all for His glory. It's sad to say, but down through church history, looks like we'll go over a little bit again today, but that's okay. It's okay with me anyway. <laughs> down through church history, there have been, and there will continue to be until Jesus comes back, glory seekers within the body of Christ and among those who claim to be a part of the body of Christ. And by the way, things don't often turn out well for them. Now, it might look like it to you, but I can guarantee you it doesn't. God will not share his glory with anyone. And that's what got Satan kicked out of heaven, by the way. That in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. The ultimate manifestation and expression of God's glory to the human race is the person of his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Again, where is our focus? Is it on the temporary things? Is it on the worldly things? Because God says we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Christ says, Behold, I come quickly. My reward is with me. A lot of people are looking for the rewards in this life, and many times they get them, but I guarantee you, you'd, you'd be much better off to wait for the eternal ones. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He has made us accepted in the Beloved. And if you go down to verses 11 and 12, In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, 
being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. You see how over and over again in Ephesians, Paul keeps pointing out it's about him. It's his purposes. It's his will. But what's wrong with that? He's God. He's the creator of all things. He's awesome. He's amazing. Look what he has made. And we are privileged to get to be a part of that. In him we also have attained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. I don't know if you remember this, but there was a while back we even showed the video in church. I, I don't mean to be hitting so hard on the Osteens today, but I guess I do. Do you remember when Joel Osteen's wife said, we don't worship God for God, we worship him for ourselves? How many of you remember that? Look, the, look up the YouTube video. How twisted is that? It's for our benefit and our blessing? Yeah, when we worship God, we do get blessed, but that's not the primary purpose. The primary purpose is to, it's for the praise of His glory. It's to honor Him. It's to exalt Him, to lift Him up. Victoria, that's her name. Victoria Osteen. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. You see, under the Old Covenant, God's glory was expressed through the nation of Israel as a whole. Remember all the great miracles God did for Israel? But he dealt with them primarily as a corporate unit. They did not have the personal indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit like you and I have. The Holy Spirit would come upon certain individuals and anoint them like a King David, like a Samuel, different ones. But as a whole, they did not have that kind of access to God. And God glorified himself through them as a nation more so than as individuals. But under the new covenant, God's glory is expressed through individual, spirit-filled believers and by the universal body of Christ. So Peter says, use these gifts according to the ability that God has given you. Don't do it in the flesh. Do it in the spirit. And God promises. Jesus said, hey, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the... Heavenly Father, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. You might say, well, how do I get this ability? You ask. God is pleased to give you that ability, the power of His Holy Spirit, when you're using it for His glory. For those who did not and do not fit into the either category, either part of the Old Covenant, the nation of Israel, or you're not part of the New Covenant in Christ, which means you would not be a believer, According to Romans chapter 1, all men are without excuse because God's glory is revealed through His creation. Romans 1.20 For since creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Finally, Peter says, To whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever? The whom here is both the Father and the Son. To whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. To them belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. That's why it's appropriate and proper and necessary that we should bring glory to Him in this world. And the number one way we do that, according to Peter, is by letting God use us, loving one another fervently, agape love, unconditional love, using the gifts he's given us to minister to one another. Because as we pointed out last week, oftentimes we put our best foot forward out there in the world, right? We want to make a good impression. But again, oh my goodness, that's all about me. I want people to think I'm wonderful. I want people to think I'm spiritual. But when we go home, the way we treat our family, that's the real us, right? The same thing is true in the church. It's a lot easier to go out and put up a good front at the office, at school, wherever you might be. I'm getting convicted even as I talk about this. The proof is in the pudding. And as I said last week, we think that people may not notice, they may not realize it or recognize it, but they do. 
how how we as believers treat one another, care for one another, love one another. And that's the family that people out there will want to be a part of. Right? Finally, the amen. So be it. Let it be. Let it be so. Again, it seems to me like Peter got so excited and emotional as he wrote about the glory of God that he had to take a deep breath here and punctuate his statement with, Amen! I want to give you five points that I think are relevant to what we've talked about today as we close. One, God through Jesus Christ has given a gift or gifts. And this relates back to last week as well. He's given one or more gifts to every born-again believer in the body of Christ. So every believer has one or more gifts. Two, they're given so that we can prove how spiritual we are. No, they're given so we can effectively minister God's grace, His unmerited favor to one another. And I think we'd be safe to say that that can also be true for those in the world. We can use those gifts to minister not only to believers but to non-believers. But as we saw last week in Galatians chapter 6, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Three, the only way we can genuinely express God's glory in the world around us is to do whatever He calls us to do as we read here today in verse 11, with the ability which God supplies, the gifts of the Spirit, the empowering of the Spirit. Fourth, our one and only connection to God, His gifts, and the power of His Holy Spirit is Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus, if you're not a born-again believer, if you're not a follower of Christ, then you will not have access to the gifts of the Holy Spirit and to the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter makes it clear it's through jesus christ finally our ultimate purpose both now and for eternity a lot of people go i don't i don't know what my purpose is i don't know what i'm here for here it is peter just showed us our ultimate purpose for both now and for eternity is to honor and glorify god the father the son and the holy spirit Acts seventeen twenty eight. for in him we live and move and have our being. Let's stand. And let's pray. Father God, thank you for this tremendous scripture and the great depths that you've allowed us to mine together here today. All the supporting scriptures that give us further insight and understanding to what Peter is communicating. Father, we pray that you cause your word to take root in our hearts and our minds. Lord, that we would become more proactive in serving and using our gifts, really being and doing what you've called us to be and to do. You've made the point, Lord, that the end of all things is near, and it's a lot closer now than it was when Peter wrote this. And so we need to be about our Father's business. And we want you to come back and find that we have been about our Father's business. So we ask for your help, your strength. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is available to us. All we have to do is ask. And we ask you to help us not to try to do in the flesh what can only really be done in the Spirit. Lord, as we go from this place today, let us think about these things, meditate upon these things, take them to heart. We thank you for your faithfulness to feed your sheep such wonderful meals from your Word. Lord, the spiritual nutrition that we need to be healthy believers. And now as we close, we pray that you would receive this final offering of worship and that you would pour out your Spirit upon those praying and those being prayed for. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.